Yeah, yeah. I often frame it so if I to quote myself here, I I, I use like a, a pattern of learning. I, I talk people through it of, of curiosity. You start there. You start with curiosity. It moves to creativity and then memory and then application. So that's a it's oversimplified, but it's a really good way to kind of uh, put a framework to learning that is really approachable approachable for people because curiosity is simply it's a sense of wonder and intrigue that gives birth to all questions and it arises from a natural desire to understand oneself and the environment and we can ignite that so if you're an adult and you feel like you're not very curious anymore and that's kind of died off you can ignite that by exploring the unknown it will happen naturally as soon as you start to recognize that there's things around that you that you don't understand your curiosity will will you know, essentially revitalize itself, it'll come back to life. And once you have those questions, then you have a reason to be creative. Because creative is all about generating, creativity is all about combining ideas in new ways and gener generating answers to questions. But if you never ask anything, there's no reason to be creative and so you won't be. And so one of the best things you can possibly do if you wanna start that process is simply start exploring the unknown again. And that can just be as simple as, like I said earlier, go outside and start looking at things that you've seen a million times in a new way, like actually look at them. Don't just, you know, pass by them and ignore them because you've seen them so much. Look at them again, because I promise you, there's a million different details that you didn't see before because you were just zoning it out. Look at the bush next to your house. <laughs> look at the tree, look at the bird, look at the squirrel eating, a, an, eating an acorn. I don't know, um, whatever it takes. And all of a sudden the unknown will open up again. The curiosity will come back and that will ignite your creativity. And then, you know, there's no stopping you at that point. Heroes are an inspiring group of people, every one of them from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell, from the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, to the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what, I can fix that, I can help people, I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Welcome back to the Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and today I have live on the line Colin Jewett. Colin, are you there? I'm here. What's up, Richard? Awesome. I'm glad to have you here. I know we were talking before we got on the show. You said you were coming in from uh, Colorado. Is it uh, is it still warm out there? When does winter hit for you guys? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, sometimes it's hard to tell. It's been it's been pretty hot. It's been in the 90s, and then this past week, it's finally started to settle down but uh if last year is any indicator then we could have a snowstorm next week or we could have have <laughs> warm weather through december <laughs> so you never know oh, in the mountains. gotta love colorado and the mountains i love i love the rockies um, i grew up in the sierra nevadas out in, in california and man, mountain towns are my favorite um like if it wasn't for them not having the ocean i might live there forever but i'm like the ocean and the mountains sort of compete for me. So <laughs> we're in Florida by the ocean that. right now. Okay. That's awesome. Awesome. So I want to do a, a quick introduction for our audience who may not know who you are. Um, so you are the founder of Curiosity Jump. 
um, and you specialize in coaching, teaching people how to use their brain, how to learn, essentially, right? How to how to like hack the learning systems of your brain. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So what I want to do just to start off with is why don't you tell me what your business is about, right? Who do you serve? What do you do for them? Um, essentially, how do you earn income? What do you, you know, what, what is it that you do? Sure. Uh, yeah. So I started Curiosity Jump a couple of years ago uh, and I work very closely with Superhuman Academy, which is a brand that's been around uh, a little bit longer and they specialize in uh, courses. So they have online asynchronous courses covering everything from accelerated learning and memory training to fitness and biohacking. It's it's kind of like uh, the entrepreneur's super toolkit or people who are really uh, really up on self-improvement and want the latest stuff. So that's, that's what Superhuman Academy has been doing for a long time. That's with Jonathan Levy. Some people might be familiar with his podcast. The Superhuman Academy podcast was, was a, a pretty big one until he ended it <laughs> not too long ago, episode 300. Um, but yeah, personally, uh, curiosity jump, what I do is add that more personal element when it comes to improving your productivity or especially accelerating the learning process and partnering more successfully with your brain. And, uh, that can look like a lot of different things. So I've worked with a huge range of people, everyone from, uh, high schoolers to college professors to, nuclear engineers, pilots, psychologists, just like completely broad, crazy range of people, which is super fun um, because everybody can really benefit from learning how their brain works, not just how the human brain works, but I really uh, focus on how does your brain work? What's special about it? How can you leverage uh, the unique attributes of your brain and really embrace your superpowers to fit in the theme of the show? Yeah, that's really cool. I know um, it was fairly recently in my own life that I started discovering how my brain worked um, and then really learning to lean into those strengths um, and also learning that uh, the way that my brain worked didn't make me, um, it didn't make me less than, if that makes sense, right? It, it gave me, like you said, just a second ago, superpowers, right? And it, um, I remember thinking because I didn't, my, because the way I think, the way I learn, the way I do things doesn't fit in with the traditional methods that are taught and used in schools and whatnot that, you know, I was less than, right? And I struggled with that for a long time, even though, like, I was successful in my own right. I remember thinking, like, I'm successful despite all of that, right? Um, and it's because, you know, I had hard, hard work ethic or whatever it is. And you realize it's like, no, it's just, it's not that there's one right way to do things or learn things just because you do it differently doesn't make it wrong. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's so... So true. I'm glad that we're on the same page about that. <laughs> it's a really good insight. Yeah, awesome. So I want to start off with your origin story, right? So every good comic book hero has an origin story. It's the thing that made them into the hero they are today. You know, were you born um, an entrepreneur or were you bit by a radioactive spider that made you want to get into <laughs> teaching people how to use their their own minds? Um, or did you start in a job and eventually make that flip as to, to an entrepreneur? Basically, I don't know where you came from. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I love the superhero spin on all this stuff. It's great. Um, so my origin story, I I was born into, uh, I would say, an entrepreneurial family. My my dad is an entrepreneur. He started his, his company, I think, at the age of 22, 23, something like that, uh, and never looked back. So that was uh, computer programming, you know, back when it was <laughs> first becoming 
a, a thing that, you know, individuals could do. And he was successful with that. So that was really cool. And I got to, you know, he, he lived at home and worked from home. So I, I grew up with that as being, I always saw that as kind of an option. Like that was a normal thing. Uh, and it took me a while to realize that there weren't that many people whose parents, you know, worked from home on their computer and, and worked when they wanted to. Uh, so that was, that was cool. And that, that was some of my, my origins, I guess. And nowadays, a lot of my family has drifted into entrepreneurship for some reason or another. My brother is a uh, professional artist and my sister does uh, wedding invitations and calligraphy and watercolor painting. So she's an artist too. I'm the technical one of the bunch. <laughs> so I actually went a uh, more traditional direction. I went to engineering school at Purdue and got an engineering degree. And then I, I worked as an engineer for 11 whole months before <laughs> I couldn't take it anymore and decided to go off on my own. Uh, so that's like really big picture. I guess you could say I was, um, I was born with some entrepreneurial spirit and some, some blood in there, but yeah. I think it wasn't until you are, I actually uh, had a nine to five job. As they say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's actually, that's, that's absolutely true. When I, uh, when I did quit my engineering job, I asked my boss, I asked him, do you think I could be a good employee for anybody? <laughs> and uh, he said, I don't know. Uh, so I, I definitely get that. <laughs> and I, it wasn't yeah. that I was, I was bad at my job or anything like that. I definitely, uh, I think I, I met expectations in a lot of ways and exceeded them sometimes, but it was just clear that I didn't have a passion for that. And I didn't like being cooped up and I wanted to just kind of try new things. And, uh, the structure I was yeah. in just didn't really afford me that opportunity. Yeah, I know uh, the one time um, after I started my business that I shut it all down to get a job at a corporate spot, I did it as a business exercise uh, and I treated it like a business. So like I used my salary to hire employees um, that worked for me. Um, and, <laughs> I, and I remember my boss at one time was like, how do you get like 10 times the amount of work done of anyone else that I've ever hired? Um, and I was like, it's like because I don't treat my job like an employee; I treat it like business owner. <laughs> uh, but yeah, because I can't, I can't, uh, I can't work that way. But I also like I managed to work from home position and like a whole bunch of other things, so it still felt like I had a, uh, I was running a business, and um, you know, that's I just if I'm going to have a job, it has to be very specific, like structure, because I I can't can't really do the whole employment thing either, uh, but. <laughs> I did want to uh, just sort of touch a little bit on the whole, like being raised in an entrepreneurial family. I know I wasn't right. I was raised. My parents were, were uh, employees still are. And my dad to this day, he's like, I think you're crazy, but I'm proud of you. Right. Like that kind of thing. We've reached that stage. We went, we went through like, you know, 10 years of him just thinking I was crazy to now it's like, you're still crazy, but I'm proud of you. At least I don't know what you do. <laughs> um, and I know my son, he just, he's going to turn 12 in a couple of weeks. And I've been home every day for his entire life. Um, and it was not even just like maybe six months ago that he was like, so I've realized you're home all the time and that's not normal. Mm, he was like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I want to know what it is that you're doing because none of my other friends' dads are at home all the time like you are. And I, we just started having a discussion and he's starting to get interested in entrepreneurship and business himself. And he's listening to like Robert Kiyosaki. And oh, wow. Other, Good for uh, him. And he, yeah, he just started listening to... Uh, the art of the deal by Trump and some other things like he's, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's listening to heady books for a kid who's not even 12 yet. Uh, and I'm just curious, like, do you get some of that, that education growing up in a house full of 
you know, entrepreneurs yourself? Yeah, I think so. And maybe it was, maybe it was similar to your son prior to <laughs> a few weeks ago, or I think I was subconsciously being brainwashed a little bit <laughs> without <laughs> realizing it. So just, um, I think it was, it, it was more like my, my dad never actively pushed me towards entrepreneurship. He never really talked about it. Uh, I think it was just the fact that I always saw it as an option to work from home because that's what I grew up experiencing. And to me, I was never really locked in the mindset that working means working for somebody else, nine to five in an office. I just didn't have that perception growing up. And uh, so I think once things, once I did get into a, a role like that, very quickly, I was kind of like, you know what? I don't really like doing this and I know other other options. So I'm going to seek them out. And I think it was, I think I had only been at my engineering job for, I want to say four months before I started my company. And then I worked on it on the side for another oh, it was seven months or so before I took it full time. So it, <laughs> it didn't take long. And it was just like, I think a lot of people fall into that position where they're not satisfied with their work and they don't like what they're doing. They just don't see there as being other options and they're not aware of them. And so they don't ask the right questions to, to make that jump. Yeah. So I think that actually is a good lead into my next question, which, cause I think uh, asking the right questions is a kind of superpower. Uh, but every iconic hero has a superpower, whether that's, you know, a fancy flying suit made by genius intellect or the ability to call down thunder from the sky or, you know, super strength. <laughs> Um, in the real real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius, which is either a skill or a set of skills that you were born with or you developed over time that really help you to slay the villains in your customers and your clients' life, right? Um, so they can come out on top of their own journey. And the way I like to frame it for my guests is if you look at all the skills that you've developed over the course of your life and your career, there's probably a common thread that ties all those skills together. And that common thread is where your superpower lies. So that's sort of framing, what do you think your superpower is in your business? Yeah, that's a great question. And I have, I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. I'm really thankful I had a, I had a business mentor who walked me through that process and helped me realize how important it was to recognize your, your unique abilities. That would be, that's how Dan Sullivan of strategic coach would phrase it. Um, yeah. I come, I have a kind of different take on it now than I, than I did back then. But uh, at the time, what I come up with, and I've, I've come to understand this deeper and I would encourage anybody who wants to be an entrepreneur, think about this, like before you do anything, maybe start jumping into this and especially asking other people what they think your superpowers are, because they will often have a unique perspective that is hard to get on your own. But I've articulated my, my unique ability or my superpower as being able to identify and generate opportunities um, or generating ideas for opportunities rather figuring out how and articulating how to capitalize on those opportunities and empowering teams and individuals to grow and perform at higher levels. If it sounded like I was reading that, it's because I was, I have that written down. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I break down each of those pieces. Uh, I actually have like 10 different components of that that I've identified. And actually, uh, if anyone's wondering like how to go through this process, uh, what I did, I actually sent out a survey and I could even, uh, if, if your listeners might be interested, I could even share the survey I sent out if they wanted to copy and paste yeah, it and yeah. send it to other people. But um, I just I sent out a survey and I asked. That. Yeah. When when I was going through that process, I, I had a, a business friend, like mentor and coach of mine that was like, you're knowing what your superpower is. And she called it your one thing, right? Knowing what your one thing yeah. is, 
is the most important thing you'll do in business. And she was like, if you don't know what it is, ask all the people that you, that work for, that you work with, your employees, your clients, your best friend, your wife, ask them what your superpower is. Right? They'll all word it a little bit differently, but you'll see that common thread that we were talking about. Right. And that common thread is where you'll notice like eh, everyone's sort of touched on that one thing. That's where you're, that's where you find your, your superpowers. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And that's, that's exactly what I did. I, I sent this survey out to people who knew me from all different parts of my life. So I sent it to people who only knew me when I was a kid, people who knew me in like grade school, people who knew me only in college. Uh, my employer who said he didn't know if I would be <laughs> a good employee for anybody else. My parents, you know, I, I just kind of sent it to everybody. And it was really, really insightful and fascinating to see those common threads, people who had known me in all these different times of life. And so, uh, yeah, everything I just said and all the 10 pieces of that that I wrote down all came from other people. Uh, it wasn't stuff that I just made up or pulled out that, that I thought of. And uh, yeah, those 10 components that came to me, I got growth mindset, rapid ideation, uh, taking instant action and following through. Those were two. Super learning, which is something I've developed uh, over the past few years, learning really fast. Uh, building systems, connecting to people deeply and quickly. Uh, integrating, welcoming people into new places. Uh, transferring knowledge, so teaching and coaching. So those were the 10 different components that I pulled out from other people's opinions and perspectives. Really fascinating. I know um, when when I went through that process, one of the things that uh, that came back for me that was the common thread for me was was it's the way that I see the world. I see the world differently than most people do, right? Most people see like the surface of things. I see the systems that build things, uh, and like to the point like I don't enjoy a movie the same way that other people enjoy movies. Other people like they see the they watch the movie, and I'm like I watch the movie and I'm like thinking about you know, what cameras they're using and the lenses. And I count things like the amount of time between the cuts and whether or not they're using different, what types of cuts they're using and how long the actors would have prepared for certain things. And um, I'll count the lights in a scene and like all those kind of things. Cause like, that's just how my head works is I, I look at the systems behind what's in front of me. Um, and it's been, a, it, it took a long time to realize that that wasn't, well, it, wanted, it wasn't crazy. Um, <laughs> But too, that that's that's sort of it's where my superpower comes from, where I can get in and see, I can see the systems and then help people develop systems. Um, and to you know, you talked about super learning. One of the skills that comes out of that is that because I can see the systems behind how things are done, I can pick up skills really quickly. Um, and I thought for a long time that I had no superpower because I had the ability to pick up skills so quickly. I was like, well, I'm good at this and good at that. I'm good at a lot of things, but I'm not amazing at anything. Mm. <laughs> Uh, yeah. turns out the thing that I'm amazing at is, is systems, right? Is being able to see the systems. Yeah, I, th I definitely think we, we have some commonalities there. I don't think <laughs> when I watch a movie, I'm not, I'm not maybe thinking about the cameras and the lighting, but uh, that's because I'm a think... photographer. That's, that's just, yeah, a, there you go. <laughs> hobby of mine, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I think the perspective I take, I love to write and creative writing is a big, uh, a big thing in my life. And when I'm watching something like that, or I'm observing thing, something like that, I'm always thinking about the like the logical rules behind it. Like, yeah. what are the rules of this universe that they've established, and where are they breaking them? Where are they following them? And when are when are characters making uh, decisions that are not really in line with their character? When are they kind of breaking character and and making yeah. something more convenient for the story? So, <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's kind so of seeing that, what's going on behind the scenes. You, 
does it give you an irritating ability to guess what's going to happen next? Because it does for me, and it bothers yep. my wife to the point where like she's she doesn't allow me to talk to her while movies are happening because she's oh, like absolutely. you always know what's going to happen. <laughs> it's exactly the same. Yeah, my my wife hates it when I talk about movies at all. <laughs> I just ruin everything. So. Yeah, that's where my wife is like, you just ruined it all. Just don't talk to me until the movie's done. Then you can tell me all your insights afterwards. Um, but yeah, that's where it's, it's I, I, um, if you haven't watched it yet, the movie called Knives Out um, mm-hmm. came out yeah, I think, last year. Yeah, uh, there's a line movie. in that movie, line in that movie where the, uh, the detective says, I just follow the arc of the story and it um, inevitably ends at the truth. Right. Yep. And I was like, when, when he said that, I turned to my wife and I was like, that right there that's how i always know what's happening next because you just follow the story right and if you know how stories are written and how the systems for a story work you know what's going to happen later so (laughs) yeah that's exactly true and uh one thing that i thought of as you were sharing that is uh, kind of winding backwards a little bit is this idea that all complex things are made up of simple things and that, that's a realization I had a long time ago that every complex system is, can be broken down into simple components. Something I realized more recently, though, to kind of add to that idea that's been really valuable to me is that all simple things are infinitely complex. So it's this weird paradox of every complex thing can be broken down in these smaller pieces that appear simple on the surface. And that can be really helpful to think that way and break things down into smaller pieces. But then the next level is also investigating the smaller pieces and noticing the complexities of those things. And I think for me, that's been a really special part of this learning journey is taking, like going back to things I've deconstructed before and then taking a deeper look uh, because I just assumed it's like, all right, I've broken it down. Now it's in simple pieces. Cool. I've got it figured out and move on. And then going back and looking at those simple pieces and realizing they weren't as simple (laughs) as I thought. Um, So being able to think from both of those perspectives. Super I know one of the things that I, I tell people is that there's nothing more complex than simplicity. Uh, because it's, uh, and it's the, it's just, it's a really, really complicated idea to make something simple. Uh, and like, I have a hard time doing that sometimes with stories. I tend to be wordy, right? And like learning how to tell a story in as brief a way as possible is like a, uh, it's a skill unto itself. Um, and mm. there's, there's so much that goes into any thought, you know, if you're working on building systems or anything, if, if you're trying to make something simple, it's almost the hardest thing to do, <laughs> which is, it's yeah, a weird paradox. Absolutely. Yeah, it is strange. And my, <laughs> the people who help me with marketing always, that's pretty much what they do. I, I write something that's super wordy and complicated. They're like, this is never going to sell anything. Like nobody wants to read this. It's too complicated. And then they get rid of like 90% of it. They're like, this is good. I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's amazing that you can do that and cut it down like that. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. You have to, you have to get right to the heart of what it is that uh, people want. And like I had that experience a couple of weeks ago with a guest on this podcast. And I was like, I'm struggling with this thing in my business. We, we have a candle company. Um, and Um, I was like, I, you know, from a copywriting perspective, you know, you always have to write about features, advantages, and benefits of your products, right? So, you know, feature is the, uh, the car comes equipped with an airbag, the advantage is it deploys on impact to cushion your blow and the benefit part that most people forget when copywriting is that it saves your life. Right. And I was like, I know what the features and the advantages of our candles are, right? Features are, it's, it's like, 
you know, they're made of porous oak glass and they're refillable and they're reusable and they're eco-friendly and the advantages that, you know, you light them and they make light for your room and all those things. Um, it's, they're smokeless and odorless. I'm like, I don't know what the save your life is for a candle. Like, I don't know how to write that. Um, and she's been on, what is it, QT, Q, QBC and like Home Shopping Network for 30 <laughs> years. And she was like, she was like, here you go, you ready? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, candles bring light to moments that matter. And my head exploded. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's, the, that's yeah. the kind of help I need to. <laughs> totally yeah. the same boat. Yep. So I always, I always need to, to learn how to, you know, make the things simple. Uh, and when you hit that, you know, when you, when you hit those things that like every, I don't know, it's, it's a weird, weird sensation, whether you're talking about copywriting or when you're looking at a system that you've developed or you're helping someone, when you've hit that, like, that's it. That's the simple thing that I needed. Um, it feels magical. Yeah. I, I wish I got those feelings more often. Usually, <laughs> usually I need somebody else to help me get that last step. Um, but that also reminded me of something related to superpowers and what you were just talking about is that oftentimes, maybe all the time, I don't know if I'll go that far, but I think most of the time, what you're really good at or, or your superpowers and your greatest weakness are, are just flip sides of the exact same coin. And yeah. That's a super valuable realization because most people are really good at identifying what they're bad at and they're not as good at identifying what they're good at. But if you can identify what you're bad at, you can identify what you're good at. Just think of <laughs> it's it's the exact same thing. How is that thing that you're terrible at? How is that actually your superpower? Because if you see it from a different perspective, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, which is a great lead into my next question about your fatal flaw, because I say the flip side of your superpower is your fatal flaw and every superman has his kryptonite and wonder woman can't remove her bracelets of victory without going mad uh, so you probably have a flaw something that's held you back from growing something you struggled with right i struggled with a couple of things for a long time um and you know to your point i said my my uh my superpower is building systems and the flip side of that is perfectionism right i want to make every little piece of the system exactly perfect um the problem with that is that you know you never actually ship anything um and i spent a long time working on getting, you know, my wife says, getting all the lights on the screen to be just right. <laughs> um, and then never taking mm -hmm. anything to market, uh, which is a really low standard because you're not actually doing anything. So perfectionism is, I've had, to I've had to flip that script in my own head and realize that, hey, perfection is a low standard. High standard is ship a good enough product that does what, it's, what you says it's going to do. Um, and, you know, one of the other ones that I struggled with for a long time was lack of self-care. Um, and that sort of manifested itself in having a poor relationship with, my time management and having poor relationship with uh, my clients let them walk all over me and that kind of stuff. Um, so I think more importantly than what the flaw is that you've struggled with is how have you worked to overcome it so that you can continue to grow your business and do what you do? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So in terms of fatal flaw, I would say it's, it's different than yours. Um, I would say like, I'm not a perfectionist. <laughs> so a lot of people I, I've worked with a lot of people who say they're perfectionists and, and we work through that. Um, and I can help them because I'm on the flip side of that. Like I love uh, ideation. I love coming up with ideas. Uh, but for me, once I've created an idea and I've kind of fleshed it out and I feel like I understand it well, um, I kind of lose interest. <laughs> Uh, and this is something that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with, but uh, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I hate maintenance. I cannot stand maintenance. Once I have something like, I feel like I've kind of figured it out and I've, I've seen the different angles of it. 
I want to push it off. I want somebody else to take it over and I never want to see it again. <laughs> and and that can be, you know, that can be a real negative sometimes because there are a lot of things you build and in order for them to be really successful, you need to be willing to put in the extra time to maintain it um, or at least know who to go to and who to pass that off to. And sometimes I don't even bother like figuring out, all right, who's going to take this over? I'm just like, nope, I'm done with it. I'm moving on. You know, I've, I figured it out and that's it. <laughs> So, so that, so, that would be my fatal flaw. So I have, I have a similar issue. I never, I never thought about that as my fatal flaw, but I do that frequently, uh, mostly because I've, I've already learned how to overcome that, but uh, in my business at least, but I know I, I do this all the time where I'm like, once I figured it out, I just, just don't care anymore. <laughs> so like, yep. whether it's a, like, as soon as I, like, I figured out the system for a video game and I'm like, I know how to do it. Like I'll quit a game halfway through. Cause I'm like, I figured out the systems. Like I've got it. It's done. It's now it's boring. Uh, and as soon as I've hit that point where I like, I, I, there's nothing left to figure out. I don't care anymore. Uh, and so in my business, I've had to work on knowing where that point is and I've built myself a system of knowing how to hire people and put them in place to keep things going to need to go. Uh, but I know in my personal life, like I have the same problem with things that like, like I hate spending money on maintenance, not because I should like, but it just really bothers me when I'm like, I bought tires already. Like, why do I have to buy them again? Or why does the elastic wear out on my underwear? I went shopping for underwear 10 years ago. I never need to do it again. Um, so like that's sort of, I mean, that's a tongue in cheek sort of like, you know, taking that to the extreme, but that's, that's how I sort of feel about a lot of those things in my head is that like, I've already figured that out. I don't want to have to do it again. Right. Um, and so I, I do that a lot in my own personal life. And I have to remember like sometimes maintenance, as you were talking about a minute ago, is a really important part of like, uh, keeping life going, like what what do they call it? There's a fancy word for it. Uh, you're I can't remember what it is. There's a scientific word that means homeostasis. There we go. That's what I was looking for. Maintaining homeostasis. There's effort that has to go into that, and the fact that you have to put effort into homeostasis bothers me personally. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm totally on the same page there, and I'd say you hit on one of the one of the key solutions. There is it's kind of like that who not how mentality of identifying people who actually do like that and are really good at it and then putting them in places where they can exercise their superpower, which is the opposite of yours. Uh, something else that I've figured out because I think that's kind of like number one solution. If you can do that, definitely you know, pass it to somebody else, uh, you know, who, whose superpower lines up with that. I think the other, you know, kind of different situation in which that's not really an option or when that doesn't seem like the healthy approach and when it's something you personally need to continue to pay attention to. Uh, something that's worked really well for me is kind of going back to that idea that all simple things are infinitely complex. Yeah, the other solution, uh, if if the thing that you need to maintain is something that you should work on personally. So a couple examples of this, um, it, this is really all about the idea of how do you make something that's boring to you interesting again. Uh, and so like an example would be like, if you're playing a game with your kids and they want to play the same game over and over and over again, because they're still figuring it out. And obviously you figured it out like 30 years ago. <laughs> and yeah. so it stops being interesting to you is going back to that idea. Um, of first, like all complex things are a combination of simple things. So usually that's the stage I get to. And then I start, I lose interest because I figure out all the simple components. I figure yeah. out how a game works. I figure out the optimal strategy and then I, it's, it's over. I don't care anymore. I don't care about winning. I just care about figuring it out and then it's over. Um, 
but then the next, like the flip side of that is then going back to that thing and saying, okay, what are the simple components that I broke it down into and where's the complexity within those? What's the, what's that infinite complexity? How can I dig into this, this tiny detail and, and what's the world behind that? And yeah. so, yeah, for me, something that's, that's really been helpful. And I think this is to kind of talk about learning. This is a super valuable uh, approach to learning is uh, challenging your challenging your assumptions and the way that you've seen the world at a very, very basic level. So literally go outside and walk around. And instead of just going like most people, when they go out and they walk, walk in a loop or they walk on a trail, they've walked a bunch of times before they drive a, uh, if you, you know, commute, you've driven the same route over and over and over again to the point where your brain completely ignores everything. Like it's completely on autopilot. All that stuff gets tuned out, uh, which is valuable. But for the sake of learning, go back and, and look at those things that you usually ignore. So go on a walk and like look at the uh, look at the the bush that's right by your house, <laughs> and stare at it and like get deeper and like tear a leaf apart and like look inside of it. It's kind of like what it's what kids do when they're first learning is they observe everything on these really deep levels. They pick up a rock and they stare at it for fifteen minutes. <laughs> like yeah. what are you looking at? There's nothing there. Um, but the truth is, there's there's infinite complexity there, and you've just tuned it out out of convenience over time. Once you feel like you figured it out, you've left it. But uh, the truth is there's, there's an infinite rabbit hole you could go down with anything. And um, it's also useful to think like every topic is interesting to somebody. Yeah. So, so like tax law, for example, is something that I never had any interest in until I became a business owner. And then all of a sudden it was relevant to me. And all of a sudden it became super interesting. So think about, you know, if you are, if you find something boring or you don't want to work on it, think about who is this interesting for and why is it interesting for them? And how can I adopt that mentality? How can I become that person uh, as long as I need to be? An identity shift. So here's my first question. Do you have kids? Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. So, you, yeah. so I have four of them. So when you talked about getting on, on uh, you know, playing games with your kids that, uh, that, you find infinitely boring that's a regular occurrence in my life and mm -hmm. just to to sort of complete that thought for you the way that i do it um is that i have you know that whole idea of like i figured out the system that i know how it works uh is i have to shift out of the i'm playing this game with my kids to i create my own game for myself and the game for myself <laughs> is how do i take what i know about this game and impart it to my children right so how do i teach mm -hmm. them the systems that i know um, because that's a really hard thing to do. Uh, and it helps keep me engaged with them. Um, and it also forces me to think on their level. Um, so, and put it down into words that they understand. So I think there's, there's multiple like exercises in there that really help one, keep me engaged in actually playing with my kids, but also it's helpful for them. And it's also helpful in working that muscle of like learning how people learn and how the, how you can help them like see the systems and all that kind of stuff. So I think there's a lot of good benefits to that. So I really, I really like that thought that you had about <laughs> how do you keep it interesting when you're playing with your kids and uh, thinking about it, it's almost the same thing that I do in my business on a separate level. It's like, okay, once I've reached the point where it's boring to me is I have to start thinking about how can I take what I know about this and turn it into steps that anyone can, uh, anyone could do in my business. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's the same sort of process. Of, of like, I need to take whatever I think I've figured out and turn it into something that someone else can accomplish without my brain.
right? They don't need to have my ability to think and to cipher things. They just need to be able to do the things. Yeah, absolutely. And if you do have kids, so <laughs> the reason um, like that that came to me, well, first of all, education is something I'm super passionate about. If you if you listen to me on other podcasts, sometimes I'm just like ranting about education. <laughs> but um, yeah, well, we I can recently rant on education in just a minute because we're going to talk about your common enemy. Oh, awesome! Yeah, I'd love to do that. So uh, <laughs> recently, I had the opportunity. So my my sister has uh, has three kids. My my nephew and my two nieces. Uh, and we got to visit them recently. They live in Indiana, so it's pretty far away. But we we met up in Michigan. I got to spend some time with them. And uh, I don't think my sister um, or her husband will will listen to this. So I think I can get away with this. But the whole time I was there, I was kind of running these mini experiments on their kids. <laughs> which, well, I tell people all the time, yeah. my kids are experiments I run on. You know, that's that's all I do is I run social experiments oh, yeah. on my children. Yeah. And it was, it was super fun. Cause for me, like I was, you know, I was playing these silly games, uh, like, which obviously there was, there's really no like skill involved at this point. It was kind of like, I, I know how the games work. I know how to win. There's, there's not a challenge to that, but it was going to the next level of thinking about like, how, how does their brain work and what's the process of discovery for them of learning how this works and observing that because that is a great way to get insight into how you learn behind the scenes that you've just forgotten about because you've done it for so long and yeah. maybe even recognizing flaws in your learning or ways that you've stopped doing something that's really beneficial is to watch a kid do it like oh wow i can actually learn from the way that they learned this process and so like one of the things that i did this was kind of mean but i don't think it's perceived as mean um we were we were at this restaurant we were sitting there where there was nothing to do um, and there was a checkered tablecloth. It was like red and white checkers on the table. And my nephew's sitting there kind of twiddling his thumbs, doesn't know what to do, kind of getting antsy. And so I got the salt and pepper shaker and I put the, I put the pepper on one of the white squares and I put the salt on one of the red squares. And I, I told him, I explained, I was like, okay, you can only move the salt diagonally. And first of all, he didn't know what diagonal meant. So I had to explain that. I was like, okay, so you can't move it like side to side. You can't move it up or down. You can only move it you know, in this kind of slanty direction. So he got that. He picked up on that really quickly. I was like, okay, so you can only move the salt shaker diagonally, which means it can only <laughs> it can only go on the red squares, essentially. It can only move diagonally on the red squares. I said, you have to get it into the square uh, with, the, with the pepper shaker, which was on a white, white square, which of course is impossible, but he didn't know that. So <laughs> my, you know, I was trying to see like, how quickly is he going to recognize this is impossible? What process is he going to go through to figure this out? Um, so I was like, it's a really fun game. Like, go ahead and try it. And so it was super cool to watch because he didn't immediately recognize it's impossible. He's very young. Like, um, and so he went through the process of moving it. Uh, he moved it on one like channel diagonally and he got to a spot where he was stuck and he couldn't, couldn't get it there. So he, he went back to the starting point and he moved like a different path and he still couldn't get it there. And he went, he went at it from every angle before kind of like looking at me and like squinting his eyes. And I could just see the wheels turning in his head as he was figuring it out. And it was so fun to watch that process. They're like, that's what we do all the time, but we don't recognize it. And oftentimes I think one of the biggest mistakes adults make in their learning is they, they do that first step where he did that pattern the first time and he hit a wall and then they stop there and you never actually come to the conclusion or realization, whether it's possible or not to do what you want to do because you didn't try the alternatives. So his pattern yeah. was, I'm going to just keep trying everything until oh, I get I run it. out of options. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, as adults, often we get into this dichotomous thinking of either it works or it doesn't. And once I've seen that it doesn't work one way, it just doesn't work. And that's it. And we stop there. 
So I have a funny story that goes along with not realizing that you've already learned how to do a process um, and then having to learn, like having to relearn how to do it so you can teach your kids. So this is just a fair warning when you do have children yourself. Uh, my first child was a, was a boy. Teaching him to pee, super easy. Stand in front of the toilet, point, aim, shoot, super easy. Then I had three daughters. The first daughter, potty training. My wife's handling potty training all the way up until one day. She's like, hey, I'm busy in the kitchen with something. Can you take her to the bathroom? And I was like, sure, no problem. I'm a dad. I've got this. I know I already trained one kid how to go to the potty. How different could it be with a girl? So I took her and I sat her on the toilet. And then I knelt down in front of her and you know, coached her through the whole going potty process and then promptly got peed on in the face, <laughs> uh, which I was unaware was a possibility with girls because uh, <laughs> I thought it just came out the bottom. Little did I know. Um, and I came out to my wife with, you know, pee drenched down on my face. And I was like, what did you not tell me <laughs> about putting her on the toilet? Because obviously I've done something wrong. <laughs> and she looks at me and she laughs and she was like, she was like, I don't know. She sat her down. What did you do? And I was like, huh, how did you set her down? She was like, I set her down. And then she, she had to go through the process in her head because she's been peeing for longer <laughs> than she can remember how to pee. Right. Like, you know, since before memory, because uh, that's, you know, you learn that skill before you actually have memories that you can pick up. You pick up memories like four or five, but you potty train it like one and a half, two. And she's like, I don't know. And she had to go through the process herself. Of like, you actually have to, as a female, you have to rotate your hips forward. And when she puts her daughters on the toilet, she does that for them automatically, right? It's just part of her process. It wasn't part of my process because I don't have to do that. <laughs> um, so I had, she had to go through that process of learning, relearning how you've learned something so that she could teach it to her children. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, I just thought that's a, a funny story to go along with that, <laughs> that skill. Yeah. <laughs> That's absolutely true. And something I've really realized uh, more recently about learning, which I'm always super excited about that because I talk about learning constantly. That's what I work with people on. And I'm always like picking up new things about learning. So that's, that's super fun for me. And one of the things I realized recently is the importance of learning as a personal journey, which is something I, you know, I, I knew, but like actually articulating that and understanding why that's important. And I'm thinking again about my nephew and the salt shaker and the pepper shaker. Like I could have just told him right off the bat. I'm like, Hey, this is impossible. You can't do this. Cool. And he probably wouldn't have learned anything from that. And maybe what he did learn was kind of pointless, but <laughs> like that wouldn't have been a learning experience. And I, I realized, you know, along the way, and as I've been working with people that learning is not a fact finding exercise. That's not what learning is. Learning is experience. It's going on a personal journey of discovery. And if you don't go on that personal journey of discovery, you haven't really learned something. So just having somebody tell you, hey, this is impossible. You didn't figure it out for yourself. And so you don't truly understand why it's impossible. You haven't gone through that process. And so your understanding is, is very shallow. Um, yeah. But my nephew, he, he figured something out because he went on his own personal journey of watching that happen and playing out the different scenarios. And yeah. he figured it out <laughs> through that process yeah. in a way that he couldn't have if I had just told him, hey, this is a thing that's impossible, so don't bother. I had a discussion with my son about that the other day. And what I tell people that difference is, is the difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. Um, and the head knowledge is something that you, like, you know, uh, you know, someone tells you that, you know, it, 
but the stove is hot. If you put your hand on it, you'll burn your hand. You know that up here. Uh, but until you've touched it, you burned your hand. You don't have the heart knowledge. Uh, and as soon as you've burned your hand on it, then you know, like you really know. Uh, and the, uh, the, the difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge is that heart knowledge changes you, like physically changes who you are as a person. Uh, and it rewires your brain and it makes you into a new person. Head knowledge doesn't do that. doesn't have that power. Uh, and it's an interesting thing. And one of the, one of the, probably the most potent things that I've ever experienced that with, um, is two things. One, the first time that I got married and two, the first time I held my child in my hands. Um, when you realize that like, sometimes that heart knowledge is, um, you know, I, you know, when you said I do the first time and you realize that, Hey, I'm responsible for this person, um, <laughs> uh, like that, that changes who you are. Um, and every time that you run into that, when you run into the, that difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge, it, it has that kind of impact, um, on, on your character. Um, so anyways, that's, that's how I, how I've talked about that, that same mm -hmm. idea. Yeah, I, totally on the same page there. And one, one like practical takeaway from that, especially for entrepreneurs, uh, is that when you are seeking out information, like you need to think about what you're doing. Don't just like, here's the facts I need to gain. Think about like, what is the personal journey of discovery that you're going on? And I have this, I run into this all the time because I lead courses. I recently did a, I recently led a four week cohort based course. It was all live. And I remember as I was marketing for that and as I was reaching out to people, I had a few, it was not just one instance. It was multiple times when people asked me, you know, like, couldn't I just look all this stuff up on the internet, <laughs> which just made me laugh because it's like, okay, I'm probably not going to get through to this person. I don't think they really get it <laughs> because it's like, yeah, maybe you could, maybe you could look up some things like you could look up just about anything on the internet if you know what to look for. But so much of learning is, is figuring out the right questions to ask. Yeah. And you can't look that up. Like you can't go on Google and type in like, what questions should I be asking to reach the next step in my life? Like Google can't tell you that. That's a question that only you can answer. And you're yeah. never going to ask that question until you run into something that forces you to ask it. Some real, real world experience. And that's uh, like when you approach courses, if you have a bunch, like a backlog of online courses, so many people who buy courses, especially entrepreneurs, <laughs> you get all these courses, maybe you start them, maybe not, but they just sit there and they collect dust and you never really learn anything from them. Uh, and I think a big part of that is seeing those things as, all right, I've got this kind of repository of knowledge. I've got these facts. I can jump into it when I want to. Um, and, and it's kind of like that look up mentality. I can look up the information, but they're never asking themselves, you know, what questions should I be asking right now? What are the questions I need to answer? Cause that's not going to happen until you've run into a wall. And uh, one thing one thing I like to say is getting stuck is a choice. And the reason yeah. I say that is because uh, you get stuck, not when you run out of answers, but when you stop asking questions and asking questions is a choice. So I'm always telling people ask relentlessly, ask relentlessly, just keep asking questions and you will, you'll never really get stuck if you do that. Yeah. It, I'm not sure why, but it reminds me of uh, the, we, we travel full time, which my audience would know because we talk about it constantly, but um when you travel full time, everything breaks all the time. Like it doesn't matter what it is, it will break. Um, and what I've noticed is the more I learn about all of the things, the less stuck you feel. 
right? Um, and so every time a system breaks, you're like, I don't know anything about that system, but you have to get in like, okay, how does it work? What does it do? How do I touch it? Well, you know, where can I get to the bits and pieces of it? The more you get into each of the systems that break down, um, the like I said, you can make that choice. You're like, either this can, I can be stuck. Like when you're traveling, like you're legitimately stuck. I can't move <laughs> until we fix those mm -hmm. things. Um, and uh, it's easy sometimes to just be like, I'm going to hire someone to fix it. Um, but I've noticed that I, I and like as an entrepreneur who makes good money, I can afford to hire people to fix it. Um, but I've also found that learning how to work on the systems makes me feel more free right? Because I'm, they, they don't make me stuck anymore. Um, if that makes sense. So when something breaks down, I'm like, Oh, I know how that works. I know how to fix it. I know what's going on the next thing. Um, so anyways, I think there's, there's a lot of power to that. Yeah. And, uh, you asked, uh, I think you were mentioning like, what is the next common enemy? Is that what you called it? Yeah. Yeah. The common enemy. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about your common enemy. Um, yeah. and, Every superhero has what I call an arch nemesis, right? It's the thing that you mm -hmm. constantly have to fight against in your world. Um, and the world of business takes on a lot of forms, but I like to put it in the context of your clients, right? And it's the mm -hmm. thing that you constantly have to fight to overcome so that you can actually help them get the results that they came to you for in the first place, right? And if you had your magic wand and you could just bop every client on the head the moment you had their first interaction with you, what is that common enemy that you, you have to deal with? Mm. Yeah, there, there are probably a couple, but I think they they kind of boil down to the same thing. And it's what we were just talking about. It's it's being primed to see problems in terms of uh, information that you need to obtain or, or, or thinking in terms of there is an answer and I just need somebody to tell it to me. And once they tell me the answer, I will be able to move on or my problem will be solved. And I think that kind of mentality is absolutely detrimental to learning and it holds people back like crazy. And so that's one of my big beefs with traditional education is it really primes people to think that way. You just get trained to think, all right, there are answers for this test. I need to figure out what the answer, like there is an answer. There's an answer key. <laughs> like that's exactly what it, there's an answer key somewhere and they're going to compare my answers to the answers on the answer key. And if it's right, then I get points. And if it's not right, then I don't get points and I fail. And we really get primed throughout education. If you go to most traditional schools and, and it, it is teacher dependent. I mean, some teachers are really good at training people to seek out and, and really go on a learning journey. But just overall, I think the way that it's structured often yeah. primes people to think this way. And I run into this with my with my clients all the time. It's like one of those first things. It's a really hard barrier to push through and break out of that thinking. And instead thinking there are actually an infinite number of answers. There's an infinite number of ways you could solve any problem. And the what you're really after is what is the your solution? What is your unique solution to your unique scenario? And the only way you can figure out figure that out uh, in, in an effective way that's sustainable and meaningful is by going on a, a personal learning journey and self-experimenting. And that's, that's another thing you really don't learn to do effectively in school. At least I, I think most people do not learn to do is experiment on themselves and take that scientific perspective of, okay, what do I, what do I expect to happen? What are my expectations? And then knowing, all right, what are the, th what are the, what is the, um, 
What is the experiment I can run? What is the data I can collect to validate whether my assumptions were true or if they're false? And then thinking there is no failure, there's only feedback. So what is the feedback I'm getting? If something's not working right now, what is the feedback I can take from that? What can I learn? And then what are the questions I should be asking right now? That's a very meta question, but I think it's one of the best ones you can ask. What are the questions I should be asking right now? If you're constantly asking that question, you will never get stuck. There will always yeah. be more questions and that will keep giving you movement and movement's progress. And one of the things I really like about the whole idea of self-experimentation is, you know, we don't, we don't learn to do that in school. Um, what we learn is we learn, we learn how to act in the socially acceptable ways. Right. Um, so whether that is everything from, um, food preferences to who you like to hang out with, to how you talk to sexual preferences, like the whole gamut comes down to how we are, how we are, uh, you know, programmed socially, essentially. Um, and you have to like, I know that's one of the things that, like as an adult started like questioning all of those things, like, why do I like the food that I like? Why do I like things? You know, the, the, um, I know like growing up, I had, um, I had a list of like, these are the foods that I deem acceptable kind of thing. Cause that's the stuff that was given to me all the time. Um, and it wasn't until I got older and got married that my wife and I started experimenting with food and like learning to cook and then learning to go to new places and try new things. And like get to a point now where like we've become foodies, but it's that same kind of process of self-experimentation of like, well, you know, just because I didn't like it doesn't necessarily mean like at a core level, I don't like it. It's just, maybe I haven't done enough with it. Um, or done it the right way. Um, you know, like specifically in the food space, one of the things I've realized is that pretty much all food is good if it's cooked, prepared properly. <laughs> um, and so, but that's the thing you only learn through self-experimentation. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, you can apply that to a lot of things. That's just the, the thing that popped into my head when you were talking about it. Oh yeah, totally. And a, an example from really recently, I think this was, this was maybe last week I, I was working with a guy and he said, um, I'm only productive in the mornings. I cannot be productive after 12 o'clock or it was noon or something like that. And I said, oh, that's really interesting. Why, why do you say that? And he said, well, I've, I've just, I've never been productive after 12 o'clock. I always hit a wall and then I'm super distracted and I can't get anything done. So I'm just a, I'm a morning person. I'm productive in the mornings and that's just how I am. And I challenged him. I was like, okay, so what are, what are the consistent factors throughout your day? What are the things that you always do because those things are contributing to this result that you're getting. But it's possible that maybe if we tried some different things, you might get a different result. Like, is that conceivable? And he's like, oh, yeah, I, I guess that makes sense. So I was like, okay, so let's just look at some basic stuff. Like, you know, what time are you waking up? What are you, what are you eating first thing in the morning? He was like, oh, uh, I don't eat first thing in the morning. Actually, I don't eat until around 11 o'clock. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, that's really interesting. So you don't eat and you feel great and you're really productive in the morning and then you eat and then pretty much everything after that just goes downhill. He's like, oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, there's this kind of a connection there. I wonder if it's tied to the food I'm eating. Maybe so. <laughs> and so my encouragement was like, okay, let's see, like, what are you eating? He's like, well, I, I eat oatmeal at 1130 or something like that every single day. And I've done that for a super long time. And I was like, okay, let's just try switching that up, see what happens. And it's like, oh, all of a sudden, you know, he, he switched to something that was like more high, high protein, high fat. I think <laughs> it just tried some different well, things I mean, and it was like, high, Oh, your fat content helps work with your brain. Yeah, absolutely. And all of a sudden it was like, Oh, I, I can, 
I can actually start to be more productive in later in the day. That's really interesting. But he had just made the assumption, I'm not somebody who's productive in the afternoon, full stop. I have my answer. He had an answer. And then once you have the answer, he stopped asking questions. When, when you run into an answer, you need to start seeing it as this is an answer to a question. But it's not the answer to all questions. <laughs> you know, there so, is, so ask some there, different questions. 42 doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah that's a yeah, really the, uh, really nerdy reference no i totally got you hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy it's my favorite book yeah. <laughs> it's it's a great book but you know 42 is the the answer to life universe and everything and it doesn't actually exist yeah but nobody yeah nobody knows what the question is <laughs> yeah so the flip side of your common enemy so if your common enemy is that that uh that hitting the wall that question right not doing that self-experimentation the flip side of that is your driving force, right? So if you fight against that, driving force is what you fight for. So just like Spider-Man fights for New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information, you sort of have a mission, um, something that you fight for. What is that? I really think it has come to its questions. It's it's getting people to start asking questions because that's that's what people hire coaches for. Like if, if you like so many of my coaching interactions, it's really interesting because if you would go back and watch the recordings of those coaching sessions, you know, people are paying a bunch of money for these sessions and they're coming back over and over and over again. What is it that they're actually paying for? And if you were to watch those calls, you'd notice I talk for most of those relationships. I talk way less than the other person. They spend most of the time talking. And what I do is I pipe in every once in a while with a question <laughs> And that's it. Like, that's what people are paying for. They're paying for somebody to ask them questions every once in a while. And all questions of a sudden that that, melt their brain. Yeah. That's what changes everything. It's like, Oh, that unlocks, that unlocks everything. And that's what, uh, and I do more than that because, you know, I, I teach specific skills and so it, it, it goes beyond that. But, but that's what coaching is. A lot of the times it's just somebody asking the questions that you're not thinking to ask. And yeah. I think if people just got in the mindset and the habit of asking what questions should I be asking right now? What questions could I be asking right now? Or what would this other person be asking if they were in my situation? And just having that thought experiment, letting it play out in your mind, uh, you might find that it unlocks all sorts of new perspectives uh, that totally, like all of a sudden that problem that you thought you had isn't a problem at all. Uh, you just weren't asking any questions and so you felt stuck. Yeah, yeah, I know. One of my uh, favorite like principles that I live my life by is if you uh, ask better questions, you get better answers. So you got to get good at asking good questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I often frame it. So if I, to quote myself here, I, I, I use like a, a pattern of learning. I, I talk people through of, of curiosity. You start there, you start with curiosity. It moves to creativity and then memory and then application. So it's a, it's, it's oversimplified, but it's a really good way to kind of uh, put a framework to learning that is really approachable approachable for people because curiosity is simply it's the sense of wonder and intrigue that gives birth to all questions and it arises from a natural desire to understand oneself and the environment and we can ignite that so if you're an adult and you feel like you're not very curious anymore and that's kind of died off you can ignite that by exploring the unknown it will happen naturally as soon as you start to recognize that there's things around that you that you don't understand your curiosity will will you know, essentially revitalize itself. It'll come back to life. And once you have those questions, then you have a reason to be creative. 
because creative is all about generating creativity is all about combining ideas in new ways and generating generating answers to questions. But if you never ask anything, there's no reason to be creative, and so you won't be. And so one of the best things you can possibly do if you want to start that process is simply start exploring the unknown again. And that can just be as simple as, like I said earlier, go outside and start looking at things that you've seen a million times in a new way. Like actually look at them. Don't just you know pass by them and ignore them because you've seen them so much. Look at them again, because I promise you there's a million different details that you didn't see before because you were just zoning it out. Look at the bush next yeah. to your house. <laughs> look at the tree. Look at the bird. Look at the squirrel eating a an, eating an acorn. I don't know. Um, whatever it takes. And, and all of a sudden, the unknown will open up again. The, the curiosity will come back, and that will ignite your creativity. And then you know, there's no stopping yeah. you at that point. I tell people uh, if you want if you want to be interesting, right? Or so. I, I put this in the context of being an interesting interviewer when I teach people how to do podcasting. So we run a podcasting agency, but it fits into all sorts of things. It's like if you want if you want interesting in your life, the way that you get interesting is curiosity and ignorance, right? Um, and because when you have like curiosity doesn't go really well with I know everything, mm, yeah, <laughs> um, but it goes really well with ignorance. So like you're talking about putting the bush next to your house. I mean, you think you know everything there is to know about that bush. But if we approach that tr- approach the bush with ignorance, like I don't know anything about this bush. <laughs> All right. Um, and it's it's that same, it's that process. The uh, curiosity and ignorance is how interest is born. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you want to be interesting, get interested. <laughs> I think yeah. that's the way you could put it. And um, for me, like, I think one of the best things that I've done, not just for, you know, for my business, but also just in my personal life, uh, every morning, almost every morning, I start my day by walking the exact same path. I go outside my house. There's this big circle. It's probably half a mile. And I walk that exact same path and I just observe. I just look at stuff. (laughs) And that habit for me has been so incredibly powerful because it keeps me in that mindset of, there is a, an entire universe of unknown that the, the quantity or the, the totality of what I know is a tiny little speck. <laughs> and that is, that is such a useful uh, and exciting perspective to have of the world. Like there's, there, there's an infinite expanse of unknown out there and it starts like right in front of my nose, <laughs> maybe even yeah. behind my nose, you know? <laughs> um and yeah, I mean, that just opens you up in your business, both to be so much more creative and explore options you've never explored before, but also just to have so much more joy in your personal life. And and for that spark that really makes learning work to come back and turn into a fire. And, yeah. Um, yeah. If I could I recommend the, uh, anything to anybody, you know, go on a walk <laughs> and look around. I know the uh, the thing that I've, I've learned probably more than anything else is that the more I learn, the less I know. Mm, yep. <laughs> So I want to talk about some practical things um, on the show here. And I call this your hero's tool belt. And just like every superhero has their uh, gadgets, like, uh, you know, their batarangs or their web slingers or magical hammers. (laughs) um, I want to talk about the top one or two tools you couldn't live without in your business. It could be anything from your notepad to your calendar to your marketing tools to something you use for product delivery. Something you think is essential to getting your job on a daily, uh, done Hmm. on a daily basis. Okay. So we're talking more like, like physical tools. Like physical, it could be like something you, you, you use with okay. your clients, like one of your, your actual tools you use to help them get what they're going. You know, it doesn't matter what it is, just a practical tool that you use in your business. Yeah, uh, I think that's, that's a great question. Um, 
I there are so many different ones, but I think like when it really comes down to it, uh, what's most important, like I've had a bunch of different workflow apps and that kind of thing, and they kind of come and go. And I've had different note taking tools. Uh, I have all these different apps that kind of flow in and on my life. So I'm not going to pick one of those because I think those are transient and they're they're kind of temporary. I think what's really important is pencil and paper because, and, and there's more, there's, there's a lot of reasons for this. It's not just like, okay, yeah, it's cool to write things down. Um, one thing I've recognized to be a very, very common trait in people who feel stuck is that they don't, uh, they don't externalize enough. And if they do externalize, they're externalizing somebody else's thoughts instead of their own. So an example of that would be, I've worked, I've worked with several people who say, you know, in my job, I go to meetings, I write everything down verbatim that people say, because I know I'm not going to remember any of it. If I just sit there and I don't take notes, I'm not going to remember anything. And that is a super counterproductive practice for a couple of reasons. First of all, everything you do uh, is inputs to your brain. It teaches you who you are. And so if you start taking copious amounts of verbatim notes, you're essentially telling your brain, hey, you don't remember anything ever. Uh, and that's why we have to take notes. And so it adopts that it adopts that identity, and then you stop remembering things. You don't remember anything because your brain's like, "Oh, I don't need to." There's no reason to. Yeah, what's the point? Um, and so that type of note taking, I, I very strongly discourage. That's not useful for most people. I highly discourage that. However, there's a different kind of of writing that I think is incredibly powerful, and I think it it can beat just about any tool. I think you could throw out their apps or anything like that. Um, and it's a stream of consciousness writing. It's externalizing the thoughts that are in your head because the truth is you've probably solved the same problem like 90 million times without realizing it. And you've spent an, a massive amount of attention and energy and mental capacity and cognitive resources just resolving those problems. And the reason that we do that is because our working memory uh, is, is very limited. Like there's not that much we can hold in our conscious mind, like right in front of us at a time. And so what happens is we kind of juggle. And so you've got all these different balls, like uh, metaphorically speaking, different thoughts or trains of thoughts or ideas. And you can only hold maybe one or two, you know, there's that seven plus or minus two idea, but that's, that's, a, that's a little bit different than what I'm talking about. But you have these different problems that you have in your head and you get them and you're like, okay, I've solved that one. And then you throw it, you kind of like throw it back in your brain and you get another one. And while you have the new ones in front of you, you kind of forget that you solved the old one. And so eventually it comes back in a cycle and you just keep juggling like that forever. And so something that's really interesting that'll happen if you start to do the stream of consciousness writing. Uh, and what I mean by that is literally write down every thought that's in your head. Just start writing and don't stop. You're not trying to solve any problems. You're literally just writing any thoughts that come into your mind. So if you think like, hmm, I don't really know what to write about. I feel like I could eat a hot dog right now. That sounds kind of good. Like write all of that down, <laughs> write that kind of thing, write down all those thoughts. And what's going to happen is you're going to start to see those problems that you solved. They're going to start to externalize themselves and your brain is going to realize, oh, I don't need to think about that anymore because now it's been put down. It's been put down on paper. It's kind of complete. You've closed a loop. As long as you keep that loop open though, where it hasn't been externalized, your brain is going to keep thinking about it even on a subconscious level it might be working in your dreams. Um, but once you've externalized it, it frees up a ton of cognitive resources that you never knew you were spending in the first place. And so not only is it good for, for attention and for problem solving and actually making progress rather than running in circles over and over again, um, but it's also really helpful for 
igniting that curiosity and realizing, oh, here's a question that usually it would kind of run through my head and then I'd throw it away and I can't hold it. But now that I've written it down, I can really ponder that question and I can think about it and ignite that curiosity and that whole process we just talked about. So, um, so yeah, I would say pencil I paper, find, that's number one. <laughs> I find that's really useful for me at night before I go to bed. If I yeah. don't do it before I go to bed, all the things that stream of consciousness is going in my head and I can't turn it off and then I can't sleep. But if mm. I take 10 minutes and write all those things down, then I can sleep. Because my brain will be like, oh, I don't have to hold all that stuff while you sleep. Right? So then it's like, I can't mm -hmm. sleep because if I sleep, it'll all go away. Uh, and what I find is interesting is like, I have, I have this, my own little mental block of like, I have to, I don't know, solve all the world's problems in my stream of consciousness notes. Yeah. Um, and I've realized I have to treat them more like I have to, and this is just my own, like how I think about it. If I'm doing stream of consciousness, note taking, um, I have to think about it. Like I'm a drunk person and I'll come back to these later. Yeah. And the stuff that makes sense <laughs> when I'm sober is the good stuff that I'll take out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and that's just like how I frame it in my head. Cause I'm like, I can't treat this like it's going to be something that I'm going to publish somewhere. Yeah. And I oh, like, yeah, I like, sure. I like to think about stream of consciousness. Like anytime I'm writing, because I'm, I'm a professional writer, I like to, I like to think of writing as completed works. And so I have my own mental block in place of like, I can't write that way. So I like, I can't just let, I can't just write, Oh, it would be nice to have a hot dog. I wonder how animals would taste with hot dogs. So that's cause that's not good <laughs> writing. Um, so I have to, I have to like put it in its own bucket of like, this is drunk person writing and I'll come back and look at these later to see as a sober person, which of those ideas are good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think I've worked with, with people who are totally in that boat where like, I can't do stream of conscious writing. I look at the page and I'm just like, I have to like, it has to be grammatically correct. Like I don't want spelling errors. Like it needs to look nice. Uh, so a couple of things you can do there is first of all, uh, use a, use a tool that you don't use for professional writing or for yeah. like serious writing at all. So for me, I've got like the sticky notes app. It's like the crappy one that comes with your computer. <laughs> like that's a great one to use. Cause it's like, this is not important. It's on a sticky note. Like who cares? Yeah. And that, that's a really great one. Cause it already puts me in that frame of mind. Like this is just some random doodle almost. It doesn't matter. Uh, also, if you really struggle with that, something that's worked for a few people that I've worked with is uh, if you're using a computer and you're typing, actually move the screen in a way that you can't see it. And so you're typing and you can't see where you're typing. You don't know when you're making mistakes. Maybe you have some intuition, you'll hit backspace every once in a while, but like type without seeing it. And uh, and then don't even look at it again. Just if you really don't yeah. want to. Yeah, just open it up and delete it. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> like ideally you should get to the point where hopefully you can actually do that and then you can look back at it because there's a lot of use to that. But if that is really a roadblock for you from even starting, like start with the no stakes. Like, cause so they're really- so here's my other my other question for you yeah. um and it's just something that i've 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 always struggled with with stream of consciousness note taking because i know it's it's okay. useful because i found it useful yeah. is that my ability to output what's happening in my head is like my fastest typing speed is like 80 to 100 words a minute yeah but my stream of consciousness and this is the same for everyone runs right around 2500 to 3000 words a minute <laughs> So, so it's like 30 times faster. Uh, and I'm curious, how do you, how do you decide what of all of the thoughts that are happening that actually get onto the paper? Yeah, that, that's a fun thing that drives people crazy um, until they've done it for a while and then they start to relax about it. But 
like if you read if you were to read my stream of consciousness writing uh which i'm probably not going to share because that's <laughs> if i start sharing these my brain's gonna be like wait this is something you might share someday uh, i don't know um, <laughs> back. Put it down. Not, that's not good um but if you were to look at it you'd notice like sometimes i completely stop mid-sentence and just start a new train of thought yeah like just ditch i'm like i get to a certain point i'm like uh I'm kind of bored of this train of thought and just totally move on <laughs> and ignore it instead of completing it, which I know for a perfectionist, I'm like, Oh no, there's half a sentence with half a word at the end. Oh, no. <laughs> like I can't leave that there. Um, but the truth is you can, like you could force yourself to do that. Yeah. It might be painful, but once you've done it a few times, you realize, okay, it wasn't the worst thing ever. It didn't kill me. Um, so I would recommend like, just do it. The, the, uh, the horrible, consequences in your mind don't actually exist and they're not going to happen. So it's going to be okay. Um, but also one, if you feel like you're thinking at 3000 words per minute all the time, that probably means it's been a while since you've externalized. You probably have like just a whole bunch of stuff built up in there. That's all like running around and clashing at the same time. And if you really take this exercise seriously, if you do it for like 30 minutes straight, <laughs> you might feel like you can write easily that whole time, but you'll start to, those circles will start to break. So the cyclical thinking, you'll, once you have a complete like circle kind of broken out of your mind, you'll stop thinking in that circle because your mind might kind of like tempt at it. It might kind of like step into it a little bit. I'm like, oh no, I've already gone through that whole train of thought. I know exactly where that ends. Cool. I don't need to think about that one anymore. Uh, And eventually that flow, you'll keep flowing, but it won't be the same things over and over and over again. You'll start to get new novel ideas. And that's, that's exciting. I mean, that's where you start to come up with really cool stuff, (laughs) even if 99% of it's really stupid. um, I found an app that just while you were talking about this, I feel like I was like, this will have a cool purpose in the future for me. I don't know what it is yet, but it's a note-taking app. And the the one that like deletes if you stop typing for too long. No, it's oh, only purpose <laughs> is it starts it starts okay. connecting it connects things for you that you haven't connected. Oh, interesting. So you you just write and whenever you want to write you just write and then it has a, an alternate view where it takes all the stuff that it's seeing like using its own internal little AI of like connections between thoughts and words and other things and makes a little web map for them like a oh, web I love that. like, I don't know, like really one cool. of those spider web map things like a mind map yeah yeah makes like a mind map out of the things that you've written down and i was like i don't really know how to use that at this point because like <laughs> in my head like i don't like when i'm writing notes i'm writing notes for a thing like this is a note about yeah. this thing and i was like that's just not useful to me but when you started talking about stream of conscious note taking i was like that's where that would fit yeah <laughs> so i'm gonna i'm gonna yeah, sitting really on cool. my ipad um, I'll put it in a link to the descript in the description of this podcast. I can't remember the name of it. it's like obelisk oh, yeah. or something, but I'll, yeah, I'll totally try that out. I, I've somebody told me recently about another one that was it was like if you stop writing for too long, it just starts like everything starts to fade away and it just deletes everything. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought that'd be kind of like intimidating, so I wasn't really so sure about that. But they said it helped them to like, all right, I just got to keep typing. I can't stop. It doesn't matter. I can type whatever I want. I can just type random letters. Like it kind of kept moving, moving. So that was that was interesting. Um, and then, yeah. And then another client of mine, I thought this was so cool. I I love this revelation that they had. Um, and I never thought of this. They, they're like, when you try to do math, even if if it's relatively bait, like you try to do division, some people can do all that stuff like super rapidly in their head. Sure. All right. So (laughs) you're special. Good for you. A lot of people have to like write (laughs) it down. And when, especially if they want to make sure it's right, they will, they will write it down or they'll put it in Excel or something. And yet when we're trying to solve the most important problems in our life, a lot of times we don't write anything down. It's like, 
I'm just going to think through this and eventually I'll figure it out. And you write nothing down. Isn't that odd though? It's like, yeah, I'm trying to solve a relatively simple arithmetic problem and I'm going to write it down. But when I'm trying to solve, you know, what I should do with like a conflict with a friend of mine, which is you know, kind of a big complicated issue involving these complicated personalities and all this stuff, I might just like, yeah, I'll just think about it. I'm not going to write anything write down. down. Like, yeah. Why not? <laughs> what, why would you, why would you think that that would be easier than, that's a really solving a math problem. That's a really good way to think about it because I'm constantly arguing with my son about writing down his stuff for for his math. I'm like, just write it down, and then you'll actually know where you went wrong when you got something <laughs> wrong. If you don't write it down, I can't help you. Yeah, uh, and it's the same kind of thing. So I know I do the same thing with you know complicated problems. I'm like, I'll oh, just think about it, um, and I know when I take the time to actually sit down and write things down, I come up with better ideas. Um, yeah, and you know, it's 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 definitely a power. Uh, powerful tool to use and make use of. And now a quick word from our show's sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro-celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. And now, back to the Hero Show. So, um, I do want to move on, though. I've got only a couple more questions for you. The next one is about your own personal heroes. Right, so every hero has their mentors, just like, you know, Frodo had uh, Gandalf, or Luke had Obi-Wan Kenobi, or Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad, or even Spider-Man had his uncle, Ben. Who are some of your heroes? Were they uh, real-life mentors, peers who are a couple of years ahead of you, maybe speakers or authors? Mm. Um, and how important were they to what you've accomplished so far? Yeah, uh, that's a really, really good question. Um, I'm going to throw out a very wide <laughs> range of people here that are completely different, but... Uh, I would say Charles Dickens is one of them. Really? Um, Never had that yeah, answer before. Yeah, weird one. And it's not because, like, honestly, I know almost nothing about, like, Charles Dickens' personal life or what he was like. Uh, I've only experienced him through his characters and reading his books. I've read a lot of Charles Dickens' books and really enjoyed them. And I think one of the reasons reasons I'd put him on that list, or at least his books on that list, is just because... I think I realized more truly than I ever have that reading changes the way that you think. And as you read, it will totally transform the way that you think. So when I'm, when I'm reading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I think a completely different way than I normally do. 
because Douglas Adams and the way he writes is very different than I normally think. It's like absurd and making all these like crazy connections and it's super creative and weird. And I start to think that way as I'm reading it, even when I'm not actively reading the book, like um, it kind of has like this temporary effect that lasts for a while. And then you stop reading the book and you put it down and you haven't read in two months and you go back to kind of your normal patterns of thinking. But the more you keep switching and reading new things and new authors, uh, it, it changes the way that you think. And so I think Charles Dickens is, where I had the most profound experience of that was reading his books. I started to think on a totally different level and think a totally different way with completely different language. Like the language he uses in his books is much more descriptive. Uh, It's much more articulate. It's like his, it's much more clever than I usually think. But I found when I was reading his books, I started to think that way. And I was like, man, I feel kind of smart right now. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) yeah, I'm thinking on this different level and it didn't last forever. Like I stopped reading one of his books and after a while I kind of go back to my normal thought patterns. Um, but I think that was, that, that was super powerful for me because more than anything, reading his books definitely made me realize that phenomenon and start to take advantage of it. So I, I would put him up there. Uh, another one, totally different side of the spectrum. Um, his name's Brandon Fong. I'd put him on this list. Shout out to Brandon. If you listen to this, he's the, he's actually the host of the uh, seven figure millennials podcast now which has been, he's been running. So shout out for him. Um, but he was one of the people that really inspired me to do things that I had no right to be doing, (laughs) which is, uh, when I was in college, I got connected with, with him kind of through a crazy string of events. And I got to, to, to talk to him. I, I remember I told him at that point, I told him cause he, he's my, he's my age. I think he's maybe a couple months older or something like that. And yet he was doing all these crazy things. Like he was, he was running the marketing at Superhuman Academy back at that time, which was a seven figure e-learning company. And, you know, he was, I don't know, 20 <laughs> or something when he was doing that. And it was like, well, this is crazy. Anyway, I told him I had this goal of, of authoring a book by the age of 30. And I always thought that was really cool. I was like, oh, author a book by the age of 30. That's pretty special. It's hard to do. And he just laughed at me. <laughs> I was expecting him to be impressed. He just laughed at me. And he was like, why wait till you're 30? Write it now, write it, finish it in six months. He just like threw a, just pulled a number out of the air and threw it at me. He's like, finish it in six months. I was like, oh, wow. Okay, that's that's a different way to think about things. <laughs> and I did. I finished that book in six months because he told me to do that. And uh, I, I wanted to take on that challenge. And that totally tra- changed my life. Just like taking on some absurd challenge like that and just taking something I always thought was like, Oh, this is a really big, ambitious, hard goal. It's like, Oh, why not do it in six months? See what happens or do it. In, <laughs> you know, you can kind of do that with anything. What if, what would, I, what would happen if I tried to do this in this really short timeline that seems totally unrealistic? What would I have to do to make that happen? And so he just, he got me to think in that different way of, of challenging your initial beliefs. And uh, that, that's super powerful. That's been really powerful in my life. And I've continued to be friends with him and uh, he's mentored me a lot. So, I'll give a shout out to him. Uh, I think I'll stop my list there for now. Yeah, I have <laughs> Brandon Fong, guy who's my age in business, and Charles Dickens. Totally weird. That weird is, that's, that's awesome. Um, probably some of the best answers I've gotten in a while to that question. But I, two thoughts. The first one is about the the book and writing a book. I know I was 26 the first time I decided I was going to write a book, I think. Maybe I was 25. Uh, and I sat down with a friend of mine. I was like, we need to write a book about this subject. Uh, it was about marketing. It's what we were trying to do. And we, we finished the whole book in 48 hours. Um, and then we, we sent it off to get published at a self-published thing and got a few copies back. And then 
within a year, I used that book to land a, um, a six figure per year contract for my business. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, and it was like, it's, it's a terrible book. I mean, it's not a terrible book. It's, it's an, it's a decent book, but like it was, it was written in 2009 and we're at 2021. So 11 years ago, 30. Yeah. So I was 24. Right. Uh, when I wrote that book. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was a, uh, um, it's just a crazy, crazy thing. You're like, we, we have these limitations on ourselves. Like, you know, we had this idea of like how long it takes to write a book or how long it takes to things. Mm-hmm. When you have someone else who comes in and says, Hey, you, they can give you a paradigm shift of like how to think about mm-hmm. the world. And I can't yeah. remember who it was at the time. I think it might've been Tim Ferriss. Um, I was reading one of his books. He was talking about doing things quickly or learning quickly or something like that. And I remember I was like, we should write a book. Here's what it should be about. Let's get it done. And then we sat down and we co-authored this book in, in, in basically two afternoons over pizza. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's only like a hundred pages long, but it did exactly what we needed it to do. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's crazy when you have the right, the right people who can help you think that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second thought I had on that was your, the idea with Charles Dixon's. And I remember for me, um, it wasn't Charles Dickens. It was Vince Pinsconti in his book, The Ant and the Elephant that did that for mm-hmm. me. Um, with that realization and his book is the self-improvement book, but for whatever reason, he went through this whole process of discussing how your conscious mind and your subconscious mind work together. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what the whole book is about is the ant is your conscious mind and the elephant is your subconscious (laughs) mind and learning how to drive the elephant with the ant. Um, and I remember thinking like, he didn't talk about this in that book at all, but it's the takeaway I got from it. And the takeaway I got from it was it gave me permission to read fiction. Mm, yeah and the reason is because your brain is incapable of distinguishing between reality and visualized fiction mm-hmm. right um, and especially when you take the time to visualize something which is what good authors do right is they yeah. give you the sight and the smell and the touch and the feel and the experience of being in a place your brain can't distinguish between that and real world experiences it's incapable of it um and um, I believe one of the things in the book he was talking about is, is your brain when it visualizes something, right? So like, if you hear something like you, like, you know, you and I talking here a conversation, mm-hmm. it's like 4,000 synapses that fire. When you right. visualize something and engage all the, the senses, it's like 4 yeah. billion. Yeah. It's, it's absurd. It's a, yep. Yeah. It's an absurd <laughs> amount of things that happen when you visualize things. And I was like, I remember very vividly thinking, I was like, this gives me permission, you know, in my own head of like, I can take the time to enjoy fiction because fiction allows you to have experiences that you couldn't have otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, that's, that's sort of the same <laughs> sort of like thought of, well, why is Charles Dixon important? Because there's experiences that you can get there that you wouldn't get anywhere else. I, I'm so glad you brought that up because I say that kind of thing to people all the time. I'm like, no, I just, I want to learn the learning skills so I can, you know, you know, read this, you know, it's nonfiction book about marketing super fast and get everything out of it. Cause I teach people like speed reading and skills like that. And, um, I'm like, no, no, like, like fiction is important. Fiction has, is so valuable and, and it can totally transform the way you think. And, and yeah, exactly. Everything you said about, you know, the visual and it's enjoyable <laughs> and it's enjoy. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a reason to do things. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's so good. Now, I'm gonna send this. I'm gonna send that snippet that you just said to some people. <laughs> like, see, I'm not the only one saying this. I'm not yeah. crazy. I told you, I'm not a crazy um, person. <laughs> yeah, totally. Pick up, pick up that book, like the Vince Pinsconti book, The Ant and the Elephant. It's like a toilet read. You can finish it while you're on the toilet. It's really short. Love that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and it's like 
I know there's a bunch of other good stuff in that book, and he never covered that specific thing, but for whatever reason, that's the revelation I got out of it. Um. <laughs> yeah, and I want to also, if you, I don't know if, are we recording video for this too? People we are. See video? Okay, sweet. So if people are watching this, there's a book like right over my my left shoulder, it looks like, maybe my right shoulder to you, but um, the Superhuman Playbook. I So that was the second book that I published, and after I had written my first book and I think it was something like six months, um, I came up with this challenge with my other coaches. So shout out to all of them for being awesome uh, all over the world. But I, I put, posed a challenge to them. I was like, hey, who in this group wants to be a published author in two months? And I think 18 of them said, sure, that sounds fun. And yeah, that's what we did. We Last summer, we co-authored this book together from all across the planet. We had a Google Doc that started out with nothing on it. It was just a blank page. And two months later, this book was you know out on Amazon. Uh, and I'm pretty proud of it. I think it turned out really well. And it was, it was people, many of whom did not speak English as their first language. So there was a ton of editing to do too. There was a massive amount of work. And yeah, I mean, two months and, and it's a good book. It's pretty cool. <laughs> that's <laughs> so awesome. Amazing, amazing what you can do when you just, you know, get rid of those initial assumptions of, of how hard things have to be or how long things have to take. Awesome. So um, we're getting into the end of our interview. I got one more question for you and it's essentially your guiding principles. So one of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code. For instance, Batman never kills his enemies. He only ever puts them in Arkham <laughs> Asylum. So as we wrap on the interview, I want to talk about the top one, maybe two principles that you use regular in your life. Uh, maybe something that you wish you knew when you first started out on your own hero's journey. Yep. And I've got those written down too. <laughs> uh, I promise I didn't even know what you were going to ask me in this interview. And I still have got, got this stuff because this is the stuff you need to go through to um, to really understand yourself better and, and make serious progress. So uh, I'll give you three. I know you asked for one or two. I'm going to give you three. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go quickly through them though. Uh, the first one is keep it playful. Uh, so that's one of my like top values I that. That, that I love, that I live by, keep it playful. And so like kind of the explanation of what that means. It's valuing means, not just ends. Valuing journeys, not just destinations. Um, it means being unoffendable and coachable and recognizing that I hardly know anything. <laughs> and that's a great <laughs> thing. And that's a wonderful thing. Um, and then also, uh, this kind of captures a quote from, it's one of my favorite quotes of all time uh, from G.K. Chesterton, but uh, the inconvenience equals adventure. So the original quote, uh, I'm probably going to butcher this, but he said something like, um, an in, in, inconvenience is just an adventure wrongly considered and adventure is just an inconvenience rightly considered, something like that. I might be, I might've gotten that wrong, but that was, that's kind of the gist of it. Um, so just trying to see inconveniences as, as adventures, uh, because it, t it totally just changes the way that you live your life and it makes it a lot more fun and a lot better for learning. So, uh, that'd be number one. Uh, number two, I'm going to put as honor and respect. Uh, and the first part of that is this idea that respect is something that you give. It is not something that people earn. Um, yeah. Which uh, same with I trust. Think, yeah, tr exactly. Um, if, if it was earned, that would mean that at some, there's something that you have to do and then it would be deserved and you would be, it's like wages that you, that you'd be forced to give out. And that's just not how it works. Um, you can do, everything possible under the sun and somebody can still choose not to trust you or respect you. And you can do nothing and somebody can choose to trust and respect you. So that's something I've decided in my life. Uh, I give people respect. I don't force them to earn it. I don't care what you've done. I'm going to respect you as a person. Um, and another part of that is taking people seriously, uh, taking their emotions seriously, taking 
their their issues seriously, even if it's something that seems trivial to me. It seems trivial because I'm not that person. I'm not in that situation. I haven't lived there. It'll life. be really helpful when you have toddlers. <laughs> yes, uh, and that's one of the reasons I came came up with this was a lot of my my learning related to education and how to you know educate children. And I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, and then the last part of that would be committing in spirit, not just in words and action. So when I commit to do something, I want to commit to it fully. I don't want to commit to just the, I don't want to try to look for loopholes um, or anything like that. And I don't want to commit to it just when people are looking. So that's kind of integrity. Uh, and then the, the last of the three, I call it wrestle with God. And what that means is never stop asking questions. So yeah, ask like relentlessly. <laughs> yeah, that's actually where the idea came from. Um, yep. Ask relentlessly. I went, I went to Bible college. I know things. Yes. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love just a quick like religious tangent. I love that story because it's so interesting that um, God names his his people, his nation after the person who wrestled with him. What does that tell us? You know, like there's so much to learn from that. I love that. Um, so ask relentlessly, fight for understanding and uh, struggle is better than stagnation. So I have it written, the struggle is greater than stagnation. So it's better to be struggling than to be stagnant. Yep. So those would be my, so, my top three, my code. <laughs> so I love that. I love that you haven't written out so well. Uh, I want to comment on the first one because I've got, um, I have some, I have some similar things that I, I say that are very similar, um, same kind of principles. First one I say is uh, I tell people all the time and we talk about all the time in the show is give yourself permission to play. Mm. So permission to play That's is a principle. Um, and the idea is same kind of thing. Um, but it's particularly for entrepreneurs we spend a lot of time thinking that play is something that you earn for doing good work. And we don't mm. think of it as a requirement <laughs> to do good work. Um, and so I tell people all the time that you need to, you need to prioritize rest and recreation so that you can come to whatever it is that you're doing, the value that you're bringing to the world and, you know, go at it full tilt. Uh, because as entrepreneurs, we like, we're, we're never done. We never get to the point where we're like, I have accomplished the thing I need to accomplish and therefore now I can rest and recreate. And like when you have that mentality, that's how you get things, people that burn out, people that quit too early, people that stop right before they get to the gold, right? People that aren't taking the value that they have and spreading it as far as they can because they're not taking the time. They're not giving themselves permission to play. So yeah. And a quick plug, like book recommendation. I don't get anything for recommending this, but uh, the book free to learn by Peter Gray. He's a, um, evolutionary neurobiologist and he writes about uh, how children learn and the importance of play and even if you do not care about education or raising children or anything like that I think this is just such a good book for that if you if you're someone who struggles with burnout or feeling like you can't give yourself permission to play oh my goodness read that book it is so good yeah I'll have to pick that up we'll put it in the uh, in the show notes below um, so my editor will pick that up and get it in there but yeah the, uh, the other side of that you mentioned the adventure inconvenience is adventure wrongly considered and I have to tell you that like speaks straight to my soul as someone who travels full-time um, and I mentioned earlier like the, like if, if people ask me all the time so we've been traveling for five years or like what's the one thing you would tell someone who's considering traveling full-time and the thing I always tell them I was like everything will break yeah. Like literally all of it doesn't matter what it is. Could be the front door in your coach, the tires, like things that you never thought could break. All of it will break. Uh, and you'll have to learn how to do that. And one of the things that I have learned over the years is that 
whether it's being stuck on the side of the road in the middle of the desert with no cell service and no way to get anything fixed a hundred miles from anywhere, you know, like literally crying into the night in the desert or being up on the top of the mountains in Yosemite with your kids and sliding off 40 foot waterfalls into like the most gorgeous <laughs> pools in the world. Right. It's the uh, adventure and the inconveniences that go along with them are what I call the texture and contrast of life. Right. Like mm -hmm. a lot of times we have a lot of people and I know a lot of people that they try, they try to keep their life like as close to the medium as possible. And that just ends up being a boring life, whether that's your business or your relationships or whatever, the, the, the good and the bad, the swings, all of that, that's the texture and contrast that make life interesting. Um, so, it, you know, the bad things that happen, whether it's, it's, uh, in, you know, in relationships or in adventures or, you know, failures in your business, all of those things lead to having that interest, right. To have that interest in that con that contrast. And it gives you stories and stories are how we relate to one another. Um, it's how you build relationships and how you rear your children and how you would do pretty much everything is through stories and the bad stuff, the inconvenience. <laughs> is uh is really what life's all about yep i agree completely love that <laughs> awesome i think that's a great place to wrap our interview um but i do finish every interview with a simple challenge and the challenge i call it the hero's challenge and i do this basically to find access to stories i might not otherwise find on my own because not everyone is out there doing the podcast rounds like you and i do so the question <laughs> is the simple do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come share their story here with us on the Hero Show? First person that comes to mind for you. For me? Oh, man. Mm -hmm. I <laughs> I had like six different people <laughs> come to mind all at the same time. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out Meg Zerger would be the person who comes to mind. She is a, uh, she is one of my, my fellow coaches. Um, and she just has a really cool story. She, she works with empowering, uh, other female entrepreneurs, uh, to really be authentic and build businesses that are authentic to, to them and who they are. And, uh, yeah, she comes to mind. I think she's, she would be a super awesome guest on the show. That's awesome. So in comic books, there's always the crowd of people at the end who are cheering and clapping for the acts of heroism. So our analogs to that on this show as we close is I want to know where can people find you um, if they need your help in the future? Um, where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, um, and, and say, hey, you know what? I would really love your help, Colin. Um, and what I think more importantly is than where is who are the right types of people to reach out and ask for your help? Uh, yeah, that's a I love that you added that second part. I think that's a really important question. Um, so first of all, where to find me, I think the best place to find me is probably curiosityjump.com. I'm kind of floating all over the place on the internet. So if you type in my name, you'll probably find, find me in lots of different corners of the universe, <laughs> but, um, but that's kind of a good central location. Uh, and you can, you can find my books, you can find, find links to courses and other places, uh, there, uh, in terms of who, uh, who should reach out, I would say if you feel like, um, a, in your professional life, you feel like you are stuck. It is either, either you feel incompetent, like you can't get to the next level. You feel like you're plateauing or you feel bored and you just, I don't know, you just don't get the same pleasure out of it anymore. 
uh, that would be one group of people who would be really good to reach out. Um, especially if you're somebody who is, is thinking about making a jump and you just don't feel like you have the skills right now to do that. Uh, I can, I can definitely help that. That is the like main body of people I've worked with is usually people who feel stuck. They want to make a change. They want to make a jump and they just don't know where to start. And they feel like they don't have the learning skills to do that. Uh, so that'll be, that'd be big. And then, um, kind of on the flip side, if in your personal life, uh, even if you're not really doing anything, even if you're retired and you're not doing anything professionally, you don't care about starting a business or anything like that. Uh, if you feel like you have never been good at learning or learning is no longer interesting to you, or every time you read your eyes kind of glaze over and you forget what you're reading <laughs> halfway through and it's just kind of lost that spark for you and you want to reignite learning and make it something that's really fun and exciting again. Um, yeah, I'm your guy. Reach out and uh, maybe I can help you. Maybe I can't. But if I can't help you, I probably know somebody who can. So I can also redirect you. Happy to do that. Awesome. So that's curiosityjump.com or you can look him up, Colin Jewett. Um, if you are in that spot where you feel like you're stuck, definitely take the time to reach out. Sounds um, You heard of him through this interview. Obviously, he's got a lot of really good thoughts. Um, it helps people that way. Um, and again, thank you so much for coming on to the interview today. I had a great time going through your story. Uh, do you have any uh, final words of wisdom for my audience before I hit this uh, stop record button? I'm just going to throw out there that value number one. Keep it playful. I love it. Thank you very much, Colin. Thank you, Richard.